Eagle Vision's production of Taken, the podcast, deals with mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. There is a stigma that exists when it comes to missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. This dangerous and false account is that the women and girls who are missing or have been murdered are all sex workers and drug addicts. And they were asking for what they got. First, no one and no sex worker is asking to be or deserves to be the victim of violence. No person struggling with an addiction wants to be taken. To be killed, no one is asking for it. No one deserves to be harmed, especially when their work or their illness makes them more vulnerable. And no child is ever a sex worker. They are the victim of child exploitation. For many Canadians, the time has come for a frank and honest conversation about sex work, child trafficking, and compassion for addictions. Another misconception is that missing and murdered Indigenous women are all struggling with addictions or involved with sex work and living a high-risk lifestyle in an urban environment. This is simply not the case. 78-year-old Emily Osman worked hard her whole life. She was living out her years in her trailer in rural Saskatchewan on the outskirts of Kawakatu's First Nation, the land she loved. This was the last place Emily Osman was seen. She marked her days on the calendar to keep track of the medicine she took. On September 13, 2007, Emily made her last entry before vanishing without a trace. Emily was last seen by her nephew on her property. Her family believes she was taken because Emily's dogs were abandoned and she told no one she was leaving. At any time during this broadcast or afterward, if you have any information that might help solve the case of the disappearance of Emily Osman, visit our website. Someone out there has answers. Our goal is to find them. Who could harm this peaceful elderly woman who gave so much to others? How did Emily become a target? Could Emily have left her home without telling a soul? What happened to Emily Osman? No one could have suspected that Emily Osman, whose maiden name was LaPlante, would have been at risk in her isolated trailer in the peaceful, densely forested area that was her home. To Emily's great niece, Jessica LaPlante, Kawakatus and the surrounding area was always safe. We grew up in that community, in that area, um, for generations. We did feel safe. That was um, the land that my mother and my aunts and my grandparents, you know, that was where we were from. It was our home community. It was home. Emily's niece, Myrna LaPlante, remembers her as a tenacious woman throughout her life, but she was small. And at the time of her disappearance, age had taken away some of her physical strength. She walked with a cane. She had arthritis in her hip. Uh, didn't walk a long ways. Yeah, she was she was limited in terms of her mobility. Emily loved all living things. At the time of her disappearance, she had approximately thirty dogs in her care. She would collect any any animal that was appeared to be stray or arrived at her doorstep, and she just took them all and <laughs> and that's I'm sure how she you know with her family she just took them all in and so from people to animals and and just uh, the love of, of a living living entity 
One of the last family members to see Emily was her nephew, who was Myrna's brother. Because Emily loved to watch the creatures in the peaceful area that surrounded her, her nephew brought her something special to see. He had found an owl and uh, he brought it to her. And and I guess they viewed it and, and uh, she was happy to see him. And my brother knew that, that she would find this interesting and, and fascinating just to see this owl. In some indigenous culture, the owl is a symbol of death. But Emily's nephew never could have known that the day he brought over the owl was the last time anyone in the family would see her. It seems impossible that this frail elderly woman could get very far given the conditions around her property. That year was a really, really wet year um, in 2007. We had, there was a lot of rain that summer. The, 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 the growth, the underbrush was just really, really thick. Um, the grass around her on the property there was also very thick and tall and, and heavy. And um, there, were, there were situations where the, the police were actually crawling or people would be crawling through the, through the brush to try to you know, get into different places and make sure that she wasn't in, uh, in the bush somewhere. She would never leave her dogs. She would never leave her purse. She wouldn't leave without telling somebody, and therefore, it's suspicious. It is possible that Emily knew the person who took her from her home, or a stranger may have tracked her. When Emily's niece, April, first heard the news, she had a different idea. At one time, our elders knew how to die consciously. They knew when they were going to go, and they would get ready, and they would take care of their families, and they'd leave a couple moose there for the winter, and... They would put their sage and their paint on and they would go up the mountain and they would leave consciously. But because Emily was unable to walk without her cane and the brush around her property was so dense, because her body has never been found, and because she never said goodbye, foul play is strongly suspected. There was foul play. We've never found any remains. The... Um, Whoever had been there had gone through all her little belongings and they had left tracks, like taken a truck and drove it around and around and around and around to hide all of their tracks. So the police didn't have anything to track. That tells me there was premeditation to, to hide something. And I think her body was taken away and left somewhere else because there's been many, many searches there. Um, Aerial searches, dog foot, horses, elders have prayed, done ceremony to help the dogs, the people, the horses, everybody have luck in finding her and nothing has been found. So, yes, I do believe there was foul play. There is little hard evidence connected to the circumstances surrounding the disappearance of Emily Osmond. If you have answers or to find out more information, visit our website. Emily didn't have much, if anything, to steal. Could someone have hurt this gentlewoman? What did Emily's family do to try to find her? And did law enforcement do all they could to help? Who knows the truth about what happened to Emily Osman? Emily Osman mysteriously vanished from her home on the outskirts of the Coahuacatoos First Nation, Saskatchewan, in September 2007, leaving her property and animals. She didn't tell anyone she was going, 
and her family strongly suspects foul play. Although Emily enjoyed solitude in her later years, her family always kept an eye on her. Her great-niece, Jessica LaPlante, remembers their shock that Emily was gone. She was 78 years old when she went uh, missing. So as an elderly woman to go missing in, from her home community, she lived a reclusive lifestyle and she chose to um, enjoy her space with her animals. Emily's niece, Myrna LaPlante, recalls that the only worry anyone in the family really had about her was the weather. She was living out in the country there and um, I think just enjoying her, her time, her solitude, really liked to be by herself. She really enjoyed um, um, alone time and um, she didn't she didn't really um, you know mix a lot with the family at that time and you know while she lived there um, she would come and come and um, join us for different uh, family events and and so on people were were always concerned about uh, you know how she would fare in case anything did ever happen you know whether it was uh, um, a you know a a natural event or like storm or um, anything like that. Emily lived a peaceful existence in her later years, but in her youth, she left her home in Saskatchewan and headed off for adventure. She has um, a long and, and interesting uh, history from when she was a young girl uh, born in, in, in that area and then grew up and went to, to school in, in the area, then started employment as a, as a nursing assistant, lived in Manitoba, met her husband in Manitoba, and then moved to the Yukon and spent many years in the Yukon. Emily's niece, April LaPlante, spent time with her there. The Yukon is incredibly beautiful. No words can describe it. Emily lived very close to, to the land. We learned respect for Mother Nature. We, we learned respect for when you go hunting, you take care of things, you, you use all parts of the animal. She taught us um, great respect for life. The earliest memories I have of her are in the mountains in Alberta, and she was showing me hummingbirds, and uh, she taught me color, the names of the colors of the world. Um, she was always very open. Um, open to the magic of life. Always a hard-working woman, Emily was a chef and ran three businesses. April remembers Emily's incredible talent in the kitchen. She made the best bannock. She made the best soups. She was an incredible soup cook. She was a pastry cook. She was like a cordon bleu chef. Emily was unable to have children of her own, but raised her brother's seven children and fostered many other kids. When Emily's marriage ended, it wasn't her decision. Her family noticed that something changed in her. I think it broke her heart. She was uh, from, from the old school, you know, that when you get married, it's marriage for life. You learn to work things out and get along with each other and it's for life. That was the school she had been raised in. Um, so when the marriage didn't work anymore, I think it deeply affected her and she took to the road, she got a van, and she kind of traveled around in her van for a while. And I think after a while, she started to really appreciate her, her being independent and single again. Emily settled back in Saskatchewan and became a recluse, 
happy on her own in her own trailer that had no electricity and no running water. When Emily went missing, it was a shock to everyone. Family members and the people of Kawakatu's First Nation wanted to join in the search, as her niece Myrna LaPlante recalls. The RCMP would not allow it. People from the, the Kawakatu's First Nation and people nearby, when word wa uh, was received um, that she was missing, that of course people wanted to come to help and, and they were uh, not allowed on the property to help. Law enforcement did not want to contaminate the scene, but their search for Emily didn't last long. I had stopped them on, on the road and, I, and they said that, you know, they were done and that they couldn't find her and that was basically about it. So we had to, uh, you know, regroup our family at that point and, and said, okay, you know, what do we do from, where do we go from here? What do we do? With Emily gone, the difficult decision was made to put each of her dogs down. Emily's family was left to come up with their own answers. But one thing was sure, Emily was gone. A few years later, they suffered another tragic blow. We had a call from our brother. Our brother was working um, north of Saskatoon at that time, and he said, uh, we can't find Cody. Cody Ridge Wolf was Emily Osmond's great nephew. He was 17 years old, a grade 11 student, when he went missing without a trace from a rural area around Lestock, Saskatchewan, while walking to his girlfriend's house on a dark, cold night. As Emily's niece and Cody's cousin, Jessica LaPlante, shares, the loss of another loved one weighs heavily on the family. The countless hours that I've heard of my family members spending um, looking for our loved ones. Um, of course, there's the coordinated searches that have occurred with, you know, the assistance of RCMP and, and other um, dedicated volunteers. However, um, yeah, it's it's been a it's been it's been a very it's taken a taken a toll on our family. Myrna LaPlante is actively involved in both Emily's and Cody's cases. Giving back to the community helps keep Myrna strong. I think we just keep on going. Over the years, we've had, you know, so much, so much prayer for our family, so much support and 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 kindness shown to the family, and and so much help that's provided. I think so much strength. Rumors swirl around Emily's case. Although her disappearance was years ago, what action is being taken today? Someone knows something. What can a search manager share about the challenges of finding a missing person? Is there any chance that Emily may be found and brought home? Emily Osmond was taken from her property just outside of Kawakatu's First Nation in Saskatchewan on or around September 13, 2007. Given that she was 78 years old, walked with a cane, and would never leave her dogs, it is clear that she did not leave of her own free will. The search for Emily Osmond is ongoing, as is the search for her nephew, Cody Ridge Wolf. If you have any information that might help solve the case of the disappearance of Emily Osmond or her nephew, Cody, visit our website.
Although the family has had their frustrations, they now feel that everyone, including law enforcement, has learned to work together to better solve missing persons cases. Lloyd Goodwill, a volunteer search manager and retired RCMP officer, believes that the issue of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls is all of our responsibility. In 1979, in February, I joined uh, the RCMP. During that short 30 years, or just about 30 years, I, uh, I honed some of my skills up uh, for search and rescue. I find it difficult sometimes to think that somebody missing is more important to somebody else that's missing. It's not. As an RCMP officer, Lloyd remembers Emily's case coming across his desk. Searching for missing persons can take an emotional toll. One particular memory stands out for Lloyd over the many searches he has been a part of over the years. It first started long ago when I was in Lloyd Minster. And I, I usually got choked up about that one. Here I was looking for a missing 12-year-old girl. Her name was Krista Brzezlitsky. And I was out with my dog and myself, and I had another person with me from Red Deer. And here we were in the mountains up by Nordegg, or Rocky Mountain House, and we're calling the name Krista out. That's, that's my daughter's name. Sorry. But we got through it. Here I was just sitting there calling for her. It was tough. We made it, here we are, and we're still trying to help. Although Emily's disappearance is a mystery, her niece Myrna LaPlante is clear that the family will not pay attention to gossip or rumors. The rumor mill just gets crazy. So when I'm, when I'm doing the searches, I, I have to make sure that I stick to fact information. Emily's family is troubled by the stigma attached to missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. It's not just because the false characterizations don't apply to Emily. There seems to be a, a general sense of labeling of missing and murdered women that these are street people or um, they were hookers or something. Um, that's not the case. This woman had a family. She had a very productive life. She was a businesswoman. Like, she ran three businesses. She had a nursing background. She was at home by herself, minding her own business when she went missing. Families are grieving because this is misunderstood. These are family people. We are family people. Emily Osmond's story tells us that there is risk for anyone, even someone living a quiet, peaceful life in a safe community. Emily's great-niece, Jessica, worries about her grandmother who lives right near where Emily lived, alone. My grandmother just lives down the road from where Emily disappeared. There's this constant concern and constant worry that we, we feel about, about like my grandmother's well-being. A lot of the times, like, just to sit there and be with her and spend time with her so like she, she doesn't have to um, be alone. Emily's family knows there was someone out there with information. They want to lay her to rest and have peace for the woman they all love. If I could speak to her, I would just say that, you know, she is loved and she is missed and, and uh, 
that we haven't given up and uh, we're going to continue to um, make sure that she's never forgotten. Somebody out there knows something and if somebody out there knows something and they're not telling, you know, saying anything, you know, what are they hiding, right? No, there's definitely someone I feel responsible. If you are the person that has information, please, you know, there's many hurting family members out there that, that would like to know that information. And if you don't want to share it with the police, Crime Stoppers is the way to go. Part of Emily's legacy is to remind us to take care of each other and to show the people we love how much we love them while we still have the chance. Since recording this interview, Emily's niece, April Buffalo Robe, has passed away. The memories she shared of her Aunt Emily have had an impact on all of us. We remember her words about Emily in our daily lives. Before she died, uh, I went to visit her. And we were sitting in her like her little cabin and she had made some bannock. We were having bannock and tea. And the, it was a Saskatchewan sunset. And it was a beautiful golden sunset. We were sitting there watching it and she said, you know, I worked so much all my life. I forgot about God, she said. Um, now I think about God, I watch the sunsets, she said. So I think the things that made her happy were very simple things. Um, little animals, little birds even, um, nature, different plants. She knew a lot about the medicines. Um, she was very in tune with nature, and I think it was the very simple things like that that gave her a lot of joy just to to be a part of it. I guess I would like people to remember that, that um, she too had hopes and dreams. She lived her life. She lived a very fruitful and productive life. Um, but she had a wonderful laugh and she, she, she did her best to protect her family. And I think that's for me is um, there was no one there that night to protect her. She said three things to remember. Be a lady. Always use face cream. And a woman needs mad money. And always keep your cart together. <laughs> I'd like people to remember that. She, she was an early feminist. <laughs> If you have any information that might help solve the case of the disappearance of Emily Osmond, visit our website. Our next episode of The Taken Podcast shares the story of a powwow princess, Sandra Johnson, who was beaten to death and left naked on the frozen Nabing McIntyre floodway in Thunder Bay, Ontario. It was just before Valentine's Day. The year was 1992 and Sandra was 19 years old. Sandra's family and friends are still longing for answers in her case. For more information about the Taken series, resources, or to share information or tips you may have about any of these cases, visit our website at takentheseries.com or download the free Taken Knowledge Keeper app for iOS or Android. Taken, the podcast, Emily Osmond, was written by Jackie Black and Rebecca Gibson. It was produced by Hannah Johnson, 
Tyson Karen, Linda Nelson, Norm Lucier, and Martin Davis Kinnack. Executive produced by Kyle Irving and Rebecca Gibson, and hosted by executive producer Lisa Meaches. Taken, the podcast was produced by Eagle Vision in 2020. For a full list of credits, visit our website. To watch full episodes of Taken, the television series, visit aptn.ca. Funding for Taken, the podcast provided by the Government of Canada through Women and Gender Equality Canada.